Welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for being a part of this journey. This podcast is all about the getting started moments because, let's face it, the first step toward accomplishing anything can be the hardest part. And we cover all the bases. I bring on guests to share their getting started moments and how they overcame obstacles and pressed on, how they built their business from the ground floor, or how they took a chance on themselves to follow their purpose. I also share some solo episodes where I narrate and expand on many of the blog articles I've written around getting started and some of the lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast has been a labor of love for the last several years, and I'm grateful to have you join along and support me on this journey. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Chris Tuff, who is a national best-selling author of The Millennial Whisperer and Save Your Asks. Let me read a quick background on Chris, and then we'll jump in the episode. Chris was one of the first advertisers to work directly with Mark Zuckerberg in 2006 and film one of the first viral videos, which landed him on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Tuff's natural ability to connect with his nearly 80% millennial and Gen Z workforce led him to publish the national best-selling The Millennial Whisperer in 2019. A global movement soon followed as the Atlanta resident shared lessons on empathy and genuine connection at work on some of the largest stages in the world, including such Fortune 100 companies as Nike. And in this episode, we talk about both of his book, The Millennial Whisperer, as well as Savior Asks, um, and around his getting started moments and things we can all do to get started and move ourselves forward. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Chris. And without further ado, please welcome in Chris Tuff. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Um, after doing some research, it looks like, you know, again, everyone has some unique backgrounds and different things, but it's really interesting to see kind of your trajectory, which I want to get into to start. And then obviously some of this thing, stuff you've done recently with publishing some of these books, which we'll get into a little bit later as sure. well. So I, I thought it'd be helpful for everyone listening in, you know, being the Just Get Started podcast, obviously, listen, a lot of folks they struggle getting started. They struggle kind of taking that first leap and kind of venturing into uncharted waters. Could you share, is there one memory, maybe it's multiple that you have of when you got started meeting your, your yeah. thinking changed or something happened that really pushed you on a different path in life than you thought? Yeah. So I grew up uh, an identical twin. And so I was always and the youngest of six kids, a bunch of overachievers and so I was always trying to chart my own course. And I even tried changing my name from Chris to Topher because I'm like, I'm going to be my own guy when I went to Vanderbilt and everyone thought that name was dumb. And I went back to Chris again, but um, that failed. Uh, but what's interesting is after graduating from Vanderbilt, I actually moved to Boston and I had 64 failed job interviews before in 2003 I just, I, I got my first two job offers, 65 and 66. And it was, I was choosing between becoming a college counselor and English teacher at my alma mater in Atlanta, or being the 13th employee of this small digital advertising agency. I didn't even know what advertising was. I mean, the idea that you could get paid to be creative was an anomaly to me. Mm. And uh, I actually went and saw a guy who was a career psychologist. And he said, Chris, go into advertising right away. And I did that. And 
we grew from 13 employees to 480 over a four-year period. But what was interesting is that I started as an account person, which is very order kind of, you know, client facing, but a lot of menial um, organizational things that aren't as natural to me um, as anyone who's met me. And then I did that for two years. And then I was like, you know what? I'm more creative than this. And I was a creative copywriter, made a lateral move. I was the worst creative copywriter in advertising history. No joke. And then I made, and then that was right as, so 2006, that's right as social media was being invented, really. Um, You know, and Facebook was going from colleges to the general public. And I got to work directly with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg on those first products, one which totally blew up, if anyone does research, called Beacon. People thought it was way too uh, creepy. But I, it was actually in that that I found my sweet spot, where I say that sweet spot is where you kind of hit your stride, where passion and profession overlap, where it's like, oh my gosh, this doesn't feel like work. And I usually say when that happens, ridiculous things tend to happen to you. And uh, it was also around that time that the owner of our agency, as we were starting to gain more traction with Verizon Wireless being our biggest client, she said, all right, Chris, you're crushing it in this kind of like Facebook world. Uh, We need to prove to Verizon that we can get a viral video. And if you do that, we'll give you your own department, which is kind of creative, uh, kind of media, and we'll call it like just... Uh, trend spotting and social media. And I said, perfect. What's a viral video? She goes, well, I guess if you get like a million views of a video, that's a viral video. And I had been patiently courting my wife for four months, now wife. And I said, I'm going to get two birds with one stone. And I'm going to call my friend, which I did from the real world. And he was in town filming and he set up two cam, like camcorder and then a wireless mic on me. And I pretended my wife at the time was a professional athlete, a pro soccer player. So I knew I wanted to, one, do it around athletics. And then two, I wanted our, she's an identical twin as well. And so I wanted our identical twins to be a part of this. And this, this ring was burning a hole in my pocket. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. And so I, it was this moment that I captured on video of me pretending to sprain my ankle, going to popping the question where she goes from like making fun of me and laughing to crying and like flabbergasted at the fact that she's finally getting engaged. And there was a three and a half minute scale of emotion. The internet had never really seen before. The only you know, proposals that had ever been recorded were on like America's Funniest Home Videos. And so I put it on ChristopherTuff.com. It was before YouTube. And I get a call five days later from a, my server guy saying that I was getting 100,000 views and it was doubling every hour and it was doubling on the hour. Hmm. Then Good Morning America flew down, interviewed us with Good Morning America. And then I branded our wedding website, doublementwedding.com. And I created a website and it got us on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And that was my first real taste of, wow, when passion and profession overlap, like ridiculous things happen and you just got to roll with it. And I put it into context, Brian, of, of currencies. And my first currency really for the next 12 years was really around digital and social media. That's what everyone came to me for advice around. That's what made me a partner of the firm where I'm a partner, 22 squared. And um, and then stage two is when I hit my rock bottom, but we won't go there yet. 
Well, we'll, we'll get there, um, which I'm curious to, to learn a little bit more about and, and then how you rose from that. But when you piece together the, hey, the decision, do I go this route or that route you're talking about and getting some advice there and then actually, you know, having the viral video, having all this stuff happen to you. Could you recall in those few years, like, did you start to like pick things up? You know, because one of the things is like you get lashed onto something and it's like, oh, this is who I am. This is my identity. Like if you stayed in that one, that first role you had kind of thing, right? Yeah. Or, or were you always trying to evolve or challenge yourself? Were there things that you did to keep going down the path? Even if you checked the box and said, hey, this is not a fit, at least you knew you tried it. So I call it my sitting in your car rule. And my sitting in your car rule is that if two days in a row you're sitting in your car, and you're dreading going into work, something needs to change. And that and that dread, as long as it's not associated to your own development, meaning that you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone or your own procrastination, uh, which some of us tend to be, uh, something's got to change. And I've lived that ever since I was much younger. And when I started to get those two days in a row, I'd be, I'd, I'm always looking for the next kind of thing that's going to keep me uh, at least intellectually challenged and fill my constant curiosity with people, right? Like that, that's, I have an obsession with people and what attracted me to social media in the first place is what it allowed both brains and people to achieve, you know, which is connection. And so I think it was really by following that, that, I'm like, okay, this this isn't fun anymore. It's time to challenge myself to the next thing. And that's why those five, I mean, I made five lateral job moves over a four-year four period. And my dad even took me to dinner and was like, Chris, what are you doing? Like, you're making $28,000 four years later. Like, when are you going to stay focused? I'm like, no, dad, just trust me. Like, I'm focused. But it's with this kind of ruthless pursuit of passions that, I was born with that I was on a kind of, um, I guess, um, on a, on a route to go after. Right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up falling, not falling into it, but I really manifested it through lots of, um, you know, it was a lot of making it happen. Right. A a lot of, all right, I'm going to invent something that's never been done before, uh, which was really one of the first social media departments, in the world. Um, and I'm like, wow, like this is so much fun. And I was obsessed with it. Right. Whether it be the new changes or whatever. Was that with the, you you mentioned the conversation with dad, were the people around you kind of just in the, I don't want to say the normal societal, like, Hey, get a job, work your way up, have a steady paycheck. Was, (laughs) Was that around you in the world? Or did you have people like yourself that were out there, you know, try to always, always overachieve? if you will. Mm, There was a handful of us that really were almost like a graduating class in social media. And there's about 40 of us that really helped build a lot of the infrastructure. Um, I was one of the few agency people doing it as like the buyer. Mm. Uh, But those were the ones that I kind of looked to for a lot of that, where it is that I could go. Whereas I've always been surrounded by like, this is what you have to do, right? Yeah. You have to go, oh, you know, Chris, yeah, you want to start a company? Now you got to get an MBA first. I'm like, no, I'm going to do a startup. And that failed in 2008 and what brought me to my agency. But, you know, I it was really through this kind of group that really 
pioneered social media that I, I would look to for my own, I think, route. Is that, I mean, the support systems, I know that's a challenge for a lot of folks. I know mentors have been big for me. Was there a mentor to someone you could kind of lean on during this yeah. process? Or? We had a close Facebook group and it was actually my first big PR hit because Fast Company did an article on this Facebook for marketers group because mm -hmm. we were so powerful and there's about 40 of us in there. And that's where we shared all of our inside secrets and um, kind of new tactics and philosophies as to where everything was going to go. Uh, and it was actually within that group that I formed some of the strongest bonds uh, who would then go on to be, you know, uh, partners of mine at the agency and actually teach me some of the tricks in my newest book, Save Your Asks. When Jason Beckerman, who I met in that group, he was the one that taught me the concept of Shawshanking, which I know we'll get to. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Maybe we can connect the dots here because um, I do want to I want to understand this rock bottom moment. Uh, maybe you can chat about it's is the transition of you could have stayed in kind of what you're doing in the late first decade, if you will, of this millennium. You could have kind of kept doing that. But it seemed like you you were always trying to reinvent yourself. And you yeah. mentioned that was almost like a challenge, like, you know, look at the mile marker, the distance and, and try to hit it. Is there anything that you do to practice that? Is, is there yeah. anything that keeps, because again, the challenge, I, I know I went through this a lot, was like scared to take the step to mm -hmm. actually try those things. So I put it in the context of currencies. Your currency is that thing you get paid to do. What I was being paid to do for so long was I was the digital and social guy. I was one of the foremost experts. And what happened is I looked at my own passions and my purpose, and they no longer aligned because our passions and our purpose evolve. And so one of the philosophies that I really baked into Savior Asks, the new book, is this idea of at all times, we've got to be curating two passions or, or side hustles at, at, at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And it's actually through that. One of those passions is with the intention of replacing your currency. So that thing needs to align closer to your passion and purpose. And, you know, for me, after hitting my rock bottom, I wasn't passionate about digital and social media anymore, but yet that's what everyone went to me for advice around. And I, a year, about nine months after my rock bottom moment where I changed a, a handful of things and, and flipped the script, I introduced myself around a fire an executive retreat, average age being like probably 55 year old executives. And said, you know what, I don't really know how to introduce myself because I don't think my title really does what I do justice. But, you know, we have 400 employees that are at my firm where I'm a partner and I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And then I went on and shared my story. And then when I sat down by the fire, everyone was like, wait, Chris, tell me about what you do with these millennials and these Gen Zers. Like, they're impossible. And I'm like, actually, they're the best. Like, it's um, a lot of the things they want, we all want, but we've got to change the way that we approach our organizations to accommodate that. And, you know, they're not really the problem. They just expose a lot of the problems. And another Tommy Breedlove, who's a, become a friend of mine, he's a coach and an author. And uh, he said, well, yeah, you got to write that book, Chris. And I was like, are you kidding me? I can't write a book. He goes, yeah, you have to write it. And so I wrote it in four and a half months. And two months in, it had become a bestseller already. And uh, people still came to me for advice around digital and social. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm a best-selling author around like culture and how to really, you know, lead organizations. And 
one of my realizations is that when you pivot, when, when you're, when your passion becomes actually more powerful than your currency, it takes a little bit of time for those things to catch up. And now if you Google my name, everything that comes up is around the millennial whisper and culture and how I've done work with Nike and other big organizations. But one of those things that we all have to practice is when you're in that gray zone of evolving that currency of yours, you got to be patient. And even now with now save your asks is out and people are still going to me with advice around culture. And I'm like, well, what about the new book, which is about how right. to better network and sell. And you got to just kind of embrace that. And, and why I say you need two passions at all times to curate on the side, ideally with side hustles is because we get stuck in these tracks, right? Whether it be the dentist that I buys on the side or um, the lawyers that come to me. I mean, and, and most of the time people, get to me way too late you know they're in their mid 50s and they're like this is what i do this is what i get paid to do this is yeah. what i've been but i i've zero passion and I'm, I'm living an inauthentic life that's been the biggest surprise to me in the last couple of months as i've gone to you know all over the u.s doing this kind of speaking stuff is these executives that when no one's looking they're like yeah like i don't really like mine so where do i go and what i tell them is like you've got to start curating these passions on the side and one of those passions will probably just be a hobby. Like if I took it, taken it too literally, I, I could have, kite, I'm obsessed with kiteboarding, Brian, right? So okay. I could have started my own kiteboarding thing in yeah. wherever, Key West or like Isla Mirada or whatever. But like two weeks into that, I know what would happen. I'd look around and be like, what am I doing, right? This should have just stayed as a hobby. Right. And so that's why I think with this option of like, you know, passion number one and number two are a little different. Passion number two solely for the sake of like neuroplasticity, doing something different, learning a, a new music, musical instrument, whatever it is. But that passion number one that you're curating on the side is solely with the intention of allowing you to evolve your currency and to bring it into that zone of where your evolved kind of passion and purpose is. And we've got to always be doing that because we're always changing. And it doesn't mean you have to start something on the side. And um, when, what I mean by that, Brian, is that I use in my new keynote an example of a guy. I, I was involved with a dental consultancy, and I was doing this big dental summit out in Deer Valley about two months ago. And uh, there was a young guy, a doctor, his name's Bonner, out of Austin, Texas. And we were in between sessions just crushing the hill, right? Like we were going down, we were just bombing it. And on the chair right up, I'm like, Bonner, well, I mean, now we can bring to life some of that stuff that you heard out of my keynote. Tell me it is what you want. And he said, you know, at $1.3 million right now, and uh, I, I want to be at $5 million. Like, that's it. I'm like, okay, Bonner, I'm going to push you on that. Like, what do you really want? Like, tell me about some of these passions that you're curating. But well, he's like, that's all I want. And it was on the like seventh time asking that on the way up. He goes, fine, Chris, you want to know what I want? You want to know what I want? I want to do keynotes just like you. And I want to be a high school football coach. I know, I know it's a little embarrassing, but I'm a, I'm a dentist. I've done one year of it. I want, and that's what I want. I said, perfect. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three birds with one stone. In the next six months, I'm going to help you create the keynote on how dentistry is exactly like high school football. So we're going to bring football into your practice in Austin, which is really marketable. We're going to talk about the difference between offense and defense, the group huddle. When you're doing your group huddle, you're going to put blackout under your eyes. You're going to give away an engravable MVP trophy. You're going to give away football cards with people's stats on it. We're going to actually bring football into your practice. 
And we're going to have you do that keynote in front of this whole group in six months. And not only that, but we're going to help you create a life for yourself where you can coach your son who's just born at the time, uh, all the way from peewee football through high school. We're going to give you enough flexibility and freedom in your life with how you structure your practice to accommodate for that. And he was like, oh my gosh. And so once again, Brian, like we take these things so literally, it's like, oh, well, I do dentistry and therefore like football has not, nothing to do with it. Where it's like, no, actually, if you put it all out there, there are ways that we can start bringing more of this into our lives. And as I talk to more and more sales teams, I'm like, dude, why are you neglecting that massive passion of yours around golfing? Use that as that connection point instead of dumb dinners. No one wants to go to dinner, but you're a part, you know, like, so that's how, what I'm trying to inspire more of. No, I, and, and I appreciate you bringing that story into it. Cause that makes a lot of sense. And that, and that's something actually, I've shared this a lot in the podcast. You know, I was known as the golf guy. So I yeah. was a PJ professional. I used to teach golf. That was my first career, if you will, out of, out of college. And then I made a transition. Cause I was like, this is not, not something I love anymore. That's not something I want to do anymore. And it took a while, but to your point, finding other things that I enjoyed outside of that, I started to get into entrepreneurship. I started to love marketing. I started to love sales. And that helped me transition out of that initially back, whatever, you know, eight, nine years ago now. But it is interesting because I think like the dentist story and even others, I meet folks that are in their forties and fifties now, and they feel like they can't change. They're like, no, I'm, I'm pot committed now. Yeah. What I can't take a step back. One is because the money, they might be making a lot of money. So they feel like that's a big change. But also, it's really the identity. What are my friends going to think at my next sure. you know, party where I tell them I quit to do whatever? And that's a hard thing for people, you know? And so much of our, have you, I, I referenced this book in Save Your Asks. I mean, this movie uh, slash special on Hulu. Have you seen In and of Itself by Derek Delgadio? No, but I've heard about that. Dude, I've not watched it yet. Anyone listening, watch it. Like, okay. it's a commentary. It's a beautiful, just over an hour. Um basically commentary but in a performance art magic type way with a live audience in a small um broadway studio um that this thing unfolds and i want to give it away but it's basically a commentary on that that so much of our society is your identity is dictated by what it is that you do versus we're we're all made up of many different things right and it's a great segue into as these people go to me and say, Chris, I have zero, I don't even know what I'm passionate about anymore. And I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. If it's called my Google me exercise and anyone that's struggling in this area, I, I would encourage you to do this. But the Google me exercise is that if you treated yourself as a search engine, what is it that people are going to you for, right? Whether it be connections or, uh, or advice uh, for me, it's like how to learn how to kiteboard epic um, tropical vacation spots, uh, recipes for big green egg. Like if you actually did that and you came up with that massive list. And then I said, out of that list, you got to write one book. And then and writing a book, uh, I'll tell you from, it sucks, right? Like it, it, it's a lot of work. So out of all of those, what are you passionate enough about and have the tenacity behind that you can see through creating an authority for yourself in one of those places, what book is that going to be? And it's a wonderful exercise in basically dictating, okay, where is it that we need to be focusing that passion, number one, 
um, on, right? And for the first time ever, I truly believe that we live in a world that any nuanced passion can actually be monetized for the first time ever. And I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, speaking from really my own experience, it's, it takes a while and it takes at least three years, right, to, to do it effectively. And But almost any passion can become that. And, you know, I, I, where I get pushback, Brian, is like, well, yeah, what about things you just weren't born to do? And my, I've been surrounded by, I feel like God put me on this earth to do what I'm doing right here. And I've had crazy experiences happen. And, and the one I reference in Savior Asks is even when I was living in London for a semester and I went to UCL through NYU to figure out basically why my British father was the way he was. And I quickly figured it out and I became really good friends with three of the guys there. And uh, through NYU, very different than my very worldly, surprisingly diverse crew at Vanderbilt. So I was kind of like learning this new friend group and everyone had a very nuanced passion. And two of the group, one was a magician and his name was Micah Lasher. He's actually really well known now in the politics scene in New York City, but he would literally do magic at these pubs and there would be lines of people because he was so talented at it. He actually even published his book at age 12 around magic. And then the other guy in our group, he was super passionate about comedy. And I told this to his face. I was like, you were the least funny person I've ever met. No joke. Like, I think you're a great guy, but you're not that funny. And, and, but you're in London. Like, why not just test drive this, right? And, and, and do one of these stand-up mic shows. And um, finally, towards the end of the semester, he did two of them. Both of them were disasters, right? Like imagine like that underground pub with seven Brits in it smoking. And I think things were thrown at the stage. And it was three years later, that same person called me and he uh, he also got into the di uh, digital side more in the Google search side. So we, we had a relationship and it was three years later, he called me, he said, Chris, so I'm coming down to Atlanta. Um, I'm actually going to be up in Athens and I, I'm going to be playing at the Georgia Theater. And I was like, playing what like what exactly i didn't know you played music he goes no i'm doing comedy it's like dude georgia theater that's a big theater like he goes chris every single day since we left london i've practiced comedy and i've done this group and that group and like actually i think you find me pretty funny and i went up and saw him at that show and i was like oh my goodness he's actually funny and that was aziz ansari and uh aziz obviously went on to create parks and rec and Having seen him through that, I'm like, truly, I think here's a guy that just practiced this thing so much that he became one of the top comedians in the world. Yeah. And, and I think what happens in life and what I'm trying to instill in my two daughters is that tenacity and resilience muscle, right? Because that's what's most important to me as I look at even my stuff, like I think from afar, what the influence of social media, especially on our kids is that like, there's this instant gratification and no one sees the tears and the hard work. And, and I think that's also where I can come across, especially on some of these larger stages, people, I talk about the people that want to punch me in the face and, and um, because there's at least 20% of the audience are like, like this guy with the yellow glasses and tattoos and like whatever. And, um, what I want to make sure everyone also sees is like just, you know, the $200,000 unsecured line of credit that I took out for the first book, right? All of these pieces that I don't think we spend enough time talking about that really show what that route looks like, especially as we start 
straddling and an evolving currency because it's yeah. difficult though that gray zone for anyone is very difficult um anyways that's my quick tirade no no that's no that's a great a great stories weaved in there um which i always appreciate you mentioned that you mentioned your your rock bottom was that part of the identity chat like shift that you had or was it something else that it was related to so or? the biggest thing came i mean i was crushing it right on the outside but on the inside I was feeling more and more unfulfilled. I was I was on the road a lot, traveling all over the place, meeting with the who's who, right? And um, I'd lost sight of what was most important to me. And so uh, I took a month off and it was in that month off that a few things changed. One, I reoriented my priorities around my wife and my two daughters. And that was actually my first tattoo that, that, that represented mm. my my wife and my two daughters, and those are my hula hoops and no one's allowed in my hula hoop, like that's it, right? The other thing that changed, number two, was my metric of success. My metric of success up until that date was essentially beating my older two brothers at the game of life. You know, one, you know, massive overachievers crushed it in their industries. And I, I said, success now will be judged on a daily basis and it will just be a metric of, did I have the impact I intended today? And, um, and when my head hits the pillow, I'll figure out whether or not I was successful that day. And then the third thing that was really impactful was as I looked at like this kind of soup, I saw that a lot of my ups and downs were associated to uh, drinking. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to quit drinking. And that was the third piece that I kind of made a massive change around. And it took uh, after making those three changes in that one month, I lost a lot of friends and it was right towards that nine month period. I turned to my wife and I was like, here I am the most extroverted person in the world. And I don't really have friends anymore. And I thrive on connection. I'm the most extroverted person there is. And that was when I went on that retreat where everything then shifted again. And, you know, so I took the, the house down to the stilts and then I rebuilt it pretty quickly. Uh, and I'm continuing to rebuild and do renovations and, you know, ruthlessly pursue those next things. So if, you know, someone listening in and they're kind of looking to get started, maybe they go, they went through something similar or they need to, right? Maybe they need to reevaluate some things. I think we all do probably on a regular basis. Um, is there any advice, any insight you'd share, any guidance to, to push them in a certain direction that might be helpful for them getting started? The biggest, I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's taking action and having accountability. And I know for me, it's been imperative that I have accountability partners. And, you know, I, I even talk about in Save Your Asks, just the importance of someone that you can get like essentially butt ass naked with, right? Like someone that you can be totally vulnerable with and they'll call you out on your stuff. But that person also needs to act as that accountability partner. And, you know, my friend Tommy Breedlove, who has a great book called Legendary, um, which I think has a lot of these great foundational pieces in it. Um, but he has this exercise where it's like, um, if you, what's the one thing that if you added or removed to your life would have the greatest impact? And starting there, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think programs like 75 Hard is a good like gut check, right? Like what does life look like without alcohol? And I'm like, listen, I love when people drink or like throw gummies around. Like I, yeah. it actually makes me a lot more, it, it makes conversation easier because I go deep pretty quick. Yeah. I'm not against that. But uh, I think, you know, finding that moderation for some of us is super important or getting rid of it. And so I think programs like 75 Hard are, are really good for kind of taking you down and resetting 
getting what does a good night's sleep really feel like? And you'll get it during those 75 days. I don't know if you're familiar with 75. I am. Yeah. I have a few friends that have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, I mean, I think it's taking action more than anything and then Mm -hmm. finding that accountability partner to take action. But I love that exercise Tommy does, which is like, what's that one thing that you could add or take away from your life? It might be walking two miles if you haven't worked out in a long time. Yeah. Um, and then you, you just add to that over time. What I don't like is like the, oh yeah, I'm going to do dry January. And then everyone just goes back to their old ways. Right. Like, or blow it out February 1st. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I mean, taking action is one of the most important pieces in that accountability. No, I, and, and again, it's one of those things I think, you know, you've kind of proven over the last, whatever dozen, 15 years, even of, kind of continually reinventing yourself, looking at that and then saying, where am I in life and how do I want to improve and get better? And again, there, I think one of the big things, certainly like stopping drinking is a big thing, but there's also small tweaks, right? Sure. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing in the world, just small little tweaks, that consistency over time. You know, I think I, you mentioned earlier about the, the, uh, the tenacity. Um, I kind of like that as if you put that effort into it, chances are you can build consistent processes. 100%. So. Um, all right. So your new, and congrats again, the new book just came out. I know, uh, I think it was, I guess at the beginning of last month, right? Um, congrats on that. Where can everyone find it? What's the, what's the details on that? Anything specific? Yeah. I mean, so you, uh, it's on audible, right? It's me reading it, which anyone that's that's uh, recorded their own book, it's not that fun. Um, but you know, you can also tell in the recording process, how passionate you are about the material. And it was actually a pleasure, recording it surprisingly and uh so yeah it's on audible and then you can find it at any retailer or on i mean amazon's probably the easiest and the cheapest savior or asks and then if you want to learn more about me go to christuff.me um and then my instagram handle which i respond to everything is uh at tough two two t-u-f-f two two and you know if i were to like further I've spent the last 10 years with my purpose being to inspire and connect. And that's the filter for everything that I choose to go after or not go after. Mm. Um, and it's really my, it's, it's that stake in the ground that I march towards. Uh, I would now say it's evolved um, to be a little bit more nuanced where it truly is my, my, why I was put on this earth is to help other people uncover those passions and then mm. be the catalyst to then pursue those. Um, whether that be in their day-to-day job or with something on the side. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my jam. And and I feel like we were all born to do something on this earth or, or we're passionate enough about something that we can pursue it until it can become that. And I, I think too many people give up too early or they don't actually take action or have that courage to do it. Whereas there's a way that we can do it responsibly. Yeah. That's a great point. This is awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing a little bit of your journey and some wisdom for the folks. Thank for you sure. so much. For sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you are enjoying this podcast, I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianandreco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the top right corner. There you'll find my newsletter, which goes out once a week, And it's more of a digest of various things that I've uncovered, whether it's a podcast, an article, or a video, something of that nature to help you get more informed and get started and keep moving forward on your journey. 
Secondly, my blog, which goes out three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, is more of a micro blog, one to five minute reads to get you thinking a little bit differently and help you along the way. I really am grateful for you being here on this episode and thanks for the support of the podcast. And if I can be a resource in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again and hope to connect soon. Take care.